Welcome to the Pregnancy Sickness Support Podcast. Everything you need to know about hypermesis gravidarum and nausea and vomiting in pregnancy with your hosts, Karen and Lindsay. With this podcast, we aim to combine valuable evidence-based information from Karen with Lindsay's personal experience as an HG survivor. We are passionate about raising awareness of hypermesis and nausea and vomiting in pregnancy and supporting women who are or have suffered to know that you are not alone. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast, Ketones with Caitlin. As the title suggests, we're joined by Caitlin Dean. Welcome, Caitlin, and thank you so much for joining us. Um, For those that might not know you, can you introduce yourself? So I am Caitlin Dean. I am a nurse specialist in hypermesis gravidarum, and I'm the chairperson for pregnancy sickness support. So we will kick off with our very first question. What are ketones and why shouldn't they be used? So ketones are a water-soluble molecule that is produced by the liver from breaking down fatty acids when you don't have enough carbohydrate um, and glucose from having eaten it or drank sugary foods or water or liquids. So you particularly produce them when you're fasting or like if you're on a carb-restricted diet, a lot of people have heard of the keto diet uh, where you eat a lot of protein but not any carbs. And the aim there is to to produce ketones or if you've been doing intense exercise, uh, if you've got diabetes that isn't being properly treated or managed. So they're, they're sort of a byproduct from your body using its fat reserves for energy to live off um, instead of you having got those reserves from food that you're eating. So they are, therefore, uh, uh, they can indicate if someone's malnourished and, and, haven't, and hasn't eaten enough. The problem is, is that they're not particularly effective at doing that. They uh, aren't particularly accurate. Different people have different points at which they produce ketones. So for example, uh, you might have someone who, you know, in the morning, because they haven't eaten since tea time the day before, have ketones in their urine. Uh, but you might have someone else who has barely eaten anything for days, but has had like, you know, half a biscuit and maybe a few sips of Lucozaid, and they don't have ketones in their urine. And the other thing is that quite randomly, particularly in the third trimester, some pregnant women will just produce ketones anyway, um, which is a, a slightly more complicated thing, but it's like a byproduct of pregnancy, really. So the, they get used as this criteria of whether or not a woman with hyperemesis should get treated. And, and that's, that's not right. They shouldn't be really, because, I mean, really, pregnant women shouldn't be getting to the point where they're producing ketones from starvation. Uh, that's a, a very um, not, you know, we shouldn't be reaching that point in the first place. But the other problem is that there's a lot of people who seem to think that they're an indicator of dehydration, mm-hmm. which they're not. They never have been and they never will be. You could be seriously, seriously dehydrated, like life-threateningly dehydrated, but you've managed to eat some food and not have any ketones. So because they don't indicate dehydration, they're, they're just, they, that's just not what they mean. Um, there's no other medical conditions where people would use ketones to indicate that someone was dehydrated and to decide whether to rehydrate them or not. So, so it's unfortunately they, they're used very incorrectly. And I think that there's a lot of misunderstanding about what they are and what they indicate. I think for a long time, I thought that they were an indicator of dehydration because that was what 
the when I whenever I was admitted or, or whenever I went to the early pregnancy unit, that was the first thing they did, and they tested if you didn't have more than two pluses of ketones in your urine, there was absolutely no chance that you were going to be admitted. Yeah. So I would let myself get so poorly that I would guarantee there'd be four pluses of ketones. Yeah. What you said earlier about some women are able to kind of some women produce ketones regardless of kind of what they've drunk or eaten, and yeah. others. Don't produce any ketones when they've had half a biscuit in a week. Because in my second pregnancy, I managed to drink Coke, like full fat Coke. Obviously, yeah. it's super sugary. I never had any ketones in my urine. I was like really poorly and really dehydrated, but they would not consider admitting me because my I didn't have more than two pluses of ketones in my urine. Yeah. And I didn't realize that it, I assumed it was dehydration and it's not. What a yeah. massive misunderstanding. Lots of women have this huge, you know, there is this misnomer, isn't there, that this ketone test is the ultimate uh, dehydration test. And it's absolutely yeah. nonsense. And it's not just women. I mean, there's healthcare staff that seem to, to think that, it, that it's, but the funny thing is they don't, in relation to no other condition, do mm. they think that um, ketones are an indicator of dehydration? So, so if you had someone who was um, vomiting a lot um, and dehydrated because they had gastroenteritis or if they were on uh, chemotherapy and they had nausea and vomiting from that um, mm. or something else like that and, and the staff were thinking, oh, do we think we need to get a drip up? Well, first of all, they wouldn't even really think that hard about it. They'd just put the drip up. Do it. But, but if they were kind of, oh, should we keep them in or should we let them go home and try and rehydrate on their own at home? They wouldn't at any point suggest checking the urine for ketones. They might check the urine for other reasons, like to check there's not a UTI or to look at the urine to see if it looks dehydrated, but they wouldn't test it for ketones and they definitely wouldn't base a clinical decision on that, other than in relation to diabetes, really, where, where ketone testing is a very important thing. And, and just to be clear, like nothing we're talking about today relates to ketone um, analysis for diabetes. Um, sure out of pregnancy uh, this is exclusively in relation to high premises um, but there's there are staff out there and women out there who seem to think that the degree of ketones present in the urine somehow um, relates to uh, the severity of high premises that the woman's experiencing that the, the, the symptoms correlate with the level of ketones on the on the dipstick and it's I mean it's just complete nonsense there's no evidence that, that it does in fact there is good evidence that it doesn't, that, that the level of ketones is not related to the severity of high premises. So why are ketones so prevalent in HD care and in yeah, treatment pathways and protocols? I have no idea. And I've had <laughs> discussions with uh, like my supervisor and, and people about this. And I've looked at a lot of historic literature um, for high premises. And I mean, they've been tested in relation to high premises for decades, right? There was a paper way back in the, the 40s that mentioned ketones. Yeah, I don't really know why. Um, I guess because of the starvation. Uh, so maybe, you know, that was something they used to think, oh gosh, you know, she's really suffering from malnutrition. You know, because when, when someone's very ketotic, you can smell it on their breath. It's like acetone, like um, nail polish removal, which is, is very similar to what it is, really. So maybe they used it back then to kind of really indicate, gosh, this woman's like so starving, she's on death's door. Um, but it, over the years, it's become it's become completely um, connected with, with high premises treatment. And I can't find in the literature where that stems from, other than just each author, you know, repeating it repeating it repeating it which to be fair i did in my in my early my early um 
papers in my book I, I talk about ketones um, because I wasn't aware of the the literature that really disproved which really proves that they're not linked that they're not associated so the evidence shows that um, ketones aren't linked to the severity of um, of hypremesis or dehydration and they, they shouldn't be used as a kind of determining tool for access to care or treatment so if healthcare professionals aren't using ketones which they shouldn't what should they be using instead and why yeah so i mean really it's just about recognizing dehydration in your patient as a as a first year student nurse on a ward you learn to recognize dehydration in your patients as absolutely basic stuff any doctor or nurse or frankly a healthcare assistant on a ward should be able to recognise if a patient's dehydrated from things like, you know, their lips and mouth being dry, um, not going to the toilet very often. Um, when they do, it's a small amount, it's concentrated, it's, um, you know, dark in colour and so on. And skin turga is, is where it doesn't, um, oh, I'm just doing that to my skin now and I'm quite dehydrated today. <laughs> um, you know, if the skin sort of stands up because it's not got, it's not springy enough because you're not hydrated enough. Um, that's not so relevant in, in sort of older patients necessarily, but um, certainly in young, otherwise healthy pregnant women, their skin should be elastic. Uh, so yeah, dry eyes, dry mouth, and, and reporting that, you know, I haven't passed urine in the last eight hours um or oh i haven't you know i haven't been to the loo yet today and it's kind of like four in the afternoon and and only managing to pass a very small amount um fluid balance is a useful tool um you know how much and how often is she weighing that's really the best indicator um and the most simple and certainly in any other condition that's the sort of stuff they would be using it's yeah it's just a bit strange that they they don't for this and it is a real barrier i mean women I, as you know karen like on the helpline yeah. The number of women that get turned away from hospital because they haven't got ketones mm. is just, it's scary actually, because one day there'll be a death because of that. There was, we've had calls to the helpline where women have said, oh, I, I waited for five hours in A&E, but I couldn't produce a urine sample for them to test for ketones. And so they sent me home. And that's crazy because that, I think that happens a lot. Cause I remember yeah. going to the doctors and them saying, can I have a urine sample? And I went, well, I'm not really sure I can do it actually. Managed to squeeze out a little bit. They're like, oh yeah, you've got about three pluses of ketones off to go to EPU. Then they wanted another urine sample. And I was like, I literally have, there's nothing. I just, I can't. There's nothing. I can give you a vomit sample if you like. But they forced me. They basically said, well, we can't do anything unless you do. I was like, this is absurd. You've got a letter from my doctor saying they've literally just tested my urine and said there's three pluses of ketones in it. Is there no trust between healthcare professionals? I just, and, and to see me physically looking very unwell, vomiting profusely, clearly yeah. I'm telling them I haven't, I, I can't produce a urine sample. I haven't eaten in three days. I can't keep any fluids down. I can't swallow my own saliva. How about you do something? And they're like, oh, no, sorry, I need your urine sample. But it's not even the, the trust between the healthcare professionals, like the A&E staff and the doctors. It's about the trust of the woman. They yeah. can't believe you that you are dehydrated, you can't produce a urine sample. Yet if you weren't pregnant, they would. And if you were a man, they definitely would. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, my, my, I had the opposite. My husband was in um, hospital with meningitis a couple of years ago. And within about 10 minutes of getting in, He'd, he'd been sick once and he was, you know, feeling a bit dehydrated and wasn't finding drinking that easy. And they were oh, well, we'll get a drip up on you straight away. And within 10 minutes, he had a drip up and he just looked at me and was like, why did it take us hours? <laughs> why did we have to convince people when you hadn't drank for days? But it's, it's yeah, it's that they just can't believe a pregnant woman surely mm -hmm. is just being neurotic and not 
it's not about um we can't we can't just believe her when she says that she's not kept any fluid down for however long where does that that mistrust or or the kind of denial of suffering of pregnant women come from do you think i think it's a much bigger a much bigger thing i think and, and historically i think we are getting we are starting to come out the other side of that um you know feminism had great strides in the last few years um but it fundamentally comes back to you know hysteria and and women you know wandering wombs and all that kind of stuff and women are just a bit neurotic and 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 prone to drama and all this kind of stuff and and that i think it comes back to that and then when you're pregnant you're like the most womanly and that so you it's sort of like woman multiplied yeah. woman woman amplified <laughs> even yeah, more yeah. and so you clearly can't make any rational kind of decision no. <laughs> oh god so so if healthcare professionals are using ketones to divert determine that the severity of symptoms and and kind of access to treatment what what can women do what what is what are their options well i i mean the problem is is it's very hard to advocate for yourself when you're that ill yeah um so as much as i i'd like you to you know turn around and say well actually the evidence is that ketones are not associated with severity of hyperemesis and actually they're not a marker for dehydration they're a marker for malnutrition and you know i probably don't have any because i did manage half a biscuit this morning and um, a few sips of coke but if you think that's enough to live on you know when i'm pregnant or not blah 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 but realistically like you're not capable of saying any of that when you're at the point of having the doctor's appointment um and staff generally don't like to be told like that either having someone to advocate for you can help certainly you know having your partner because men tend to be more listened to in general um so and and actually for for men i think them measuring a woman's urine can be really helpful so if he's able to say look i've been i've been monitoring how you know how much you're going to the loo and whatever you just have a little jug um, by the loo and we in that first whatever so that you can give really definitive you know she's she's literally passed you know 50 mils in the last 24 hours and it was really dark and concentrated you know she's not going to be able to produce a urine sample for you and also why are you testing that anyway what are you looking for ketones aren't associated with severity of hypermesis they're not a marker for dehydration and that argument of if she was here with nausea and vomiting for any other reason like for example she was on chemotherapy would you be testing her urine before rehydrating her no you wouldn't so she's pregnant. Can you please just give her some IV fluids? Because she, she can't keep the fluid down herself. But it's very, very hard to do that for yourself. Um, and it's very, very hard to do it in, in a hospital situation with busy staff who are overstretched and so on anyway, whether you're pregnant or not. I mean, you know, you're, you're listening to me talking here um, and would think that I would have no problem at all advocating for myself or my loved ones um, in hospital. But even when I'm not pregnant, when again, when my husband had meningitis, you know, it, it can be really hard to speak up in, in a hospital setting and to question the doctor who just says it all as absolute fact and, and gospel. It can be really hard to do that. And, and so being a bit prepared for that, writing down your questions, having it prepared in advance, writing down the, the description of the urine and stuff so that you don't forget to say those things. Um, have a little kind of um, notepad. That can be really helpful. But it is, it's really difficult. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of guidelines do have ketones in them still um, as in or out criteria. And the other problem with it being produced later in pregnancy is that they also get used the other way in that 
women aren't allowed home um, if they've still got ketones, even though she's managing to keep oral food and fluid down um, and she desperately wants to go home. Oh, no, well, you've still got some ketones. And it's like, so? Like, it just like, seems like there's a massive misunderstanding about what they, what they mean and, and how they should be used or not yeah. used. And, and they used a bit as a weapon. It's either you can get in with these or you can't get out with them, but we're going to decide how we use them. Uh, and you don't really have much control over that. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's like, it's like a doctor deciding whether to put a patient on uh, blood pressure tablets based on their temperature. They're just not linked. Yes, okay, women with hyperemesis are, are probably more likely to have ketones because they're not eating as much and whatever. But it, they just don't, it's just not, it's a, it's a, if you're making a clinical decision based on that, then that's dangerous, really. It's, it's really, really inappropriate. And the other point is that every time um, a hospital, member of hospital, hospital staff um, tests urine, so from the pot they've used to collect it in, the staff time, the cost of the stick, it's, it works out about three pounds. And when you think about that kind of NHS efficiency and the cost of things, like why are you wasting that three quid on a test that is actually misleading you in your clinical decision-making? So yeah. I think going back over um, a couple of things you said, Caitlin, is that, um, so for example, when you're trying to advocate for your partner or you're there by yourself at the, in the current situation and you're trying to advocate for yourself, is that not being afraid to escalate and kind of go to pals ask for their help, ask for the lead midwife to come and see you, ask for the lead consultant so that you can take up through the kind of the ladder of people to try and get, you know, people to recognize that, you know, maybe their protocol is outdated or maybe it's not the most up-to-date research that they're using. Um, and maybe, you know, they shouldn't stick to an, an old fashioned or outdated protocol when actually the, the evidence suggests otherwise. So it's that kind of not being afraid to actually shout a little bit and say, I'm not, I'm not happy with this. And I want to go and I want somebody else to come down and talk to me about this because I know that that's not correct. I know that that's not the most up-to-date information. And using words like evidence-based. Yeah. So, you know, this isn't, this isn't evidence-based actually, you know, the, and words like that that kind of make them go oh okay maybe yeah and and also um kind of autonomy as well and about women understanding that your medical treatment shouldn't be done to you it should be done um as a conversation and ultimately any of your treatment is your choice whether that's to have medication or to not have medication or treatment that's ultimately your decision um and and it's your doctor's job to make sure that you've got the information to make an informed choice rather than kind of be done to and i think you know a lot of doctors still kind of uh, and a lot of healthcare professionals still kind of have that slight mindset that actually we know best and we're going to do this and so it can be again that can then your advocacy for yourself and for your partner or you know for your family member can be then um, slightly met with a kind of well why should I listen to you I'm the doctor I know best and it's you know feeling empowered feeling that you can ask for a second opinion that you can can ask for evidence what evidence are they using to prove this you know and if you've got our ketones card or if you've got the information from our website and say well this is the evidence the most up-to-date evidence you know they need to prove otherwise as to why they're going against that information and I think that's something that we talk a lot about on the helpline um, as well that you know you can feel empowered and you can feel that you can absolutely go against that and ask for more information yeah exactly and and 
and challenging with with things like um but if i wasn't pregnant would if this wasn't pregnancy sickness would you be rehydrating me and and challenging it in that way because unfortunately with high premises there is this very sort of just old-fashioned approach to the whole thing that does stem from misnomers and stigmas around um around it where it gets confused with morning sickness which is a normal part of pregnancy and so on but you know women expect morning sickness they're not for a lot of women it's a rite of passage mm. i actually before suffering high promises kind of looked forward to um experiencing morning sickness um because i wanted to be pregnant and we'd had a previous miscarriage and i was excited the first morning i woke up and threw up unfortunately that didn't stop and within a few days it was you know it's it women are willing to put up with a lot and if they're in hospital presenting to a to a doctor saying this is i'm really really ill they do need to be listened to but it, it, that's a you know a big old mountain in front of us still and unfortunately i do feel i've slightly in in this podcast episode i've possibly been a little bit bashing towards staff which i really don't want to be um, it's just that and, and there are plenty of staff out there who know perfectly well that ketones yeah. don't correlate with high premises and you know are working very hard to get them out of their guidelines and all the rest of it but unfortunately you know we run a helpline where we get you know hundreds of calls a month and the, it's a huge problem all across the UK where ketones are just used as this barrier and if you haven't got ketones you are not getting treatment you're not getting ivs you're not getting medication you go home and suck it up because you're obviously not as ill as you seem to think you are and unfortunately that is still very much the case so you know and the only way to deal with it really is to to educate the healthcare professionals and challenge them on their stigmas and their and their sort of outdated beliefs about this particular condition as a as a leading member of um of the hg community both internationally and nationally and the chairperson of pregnancy sickness support which is the only uk charity for this condition you touched on a little bit there but what would you like to see change what changes in practice in relation to ketones and wider in terms of high premises as well what changes would you like to see i would like to see women with high premises not being tested for ketones <laughs> at all there's no point it's it's a mis it's just misguiding staff's clinical decision makings there is reason to test urine so you know when you get admitted once you've been rehydrated enough to be able to wee um it would be not unreasonable to test the the urine to look for signs of um, a uti because that can exacerbate your high premises and so on and um you obviously if you if you've got gestational diabetes and so on that's an, another matter altogether i just think that for women with high premises we just need to just not even check for ketones and not discuss them and not it not be a thing mm-hmm. um it's a waste of money for the nhs and it leads to poor clinical decision making um, and it leads to huge levels of suffering for our women it's incredibly devalidating i don't believe what you're telling me therefore i have to test your urine to check if you're being honest or not about your level of symptoms which just really winds me up so yeah i just would like to end conversation on ketones altogether really and it just not be a thing anymore Thank you for listening to the Pregnancy Sickness Support Podcast, everything you need to know about pregnancy sickness and hyperemesis gravidarum. For more information and support, please visit our website, www.pregnancysicknesssupport.org.uk.